AgriTalk is brought to you by Full Scale from Helena. Grow Strong returns this season with breakthrough foliar nutrition from Full Scale at Reproduction. And by Propane. Propane is the energy for everyone, especially farmers. Environmentally friendly propane can fuel most anything on the farm. See how at propane.com. Wow. Five higher days in corn and soybeans. Is the trend starting to build or is it just a correction in an oversold market? More new highs for the move in cattle and hogs after yesterday's impressive chart breakouts. And what's up with China? Live from El Cinco de Rally via Farm Journal broadcast, this is AgriTalk. This afternoon, it's a conversation with Arlen Suderman from Stonex. Directly following the news, Todd Bubba Horwitz from BubbaTrading.com. I'm the handsome newsman, Davis Michelson. Now, filling in for Chip, Michelle Rook. Good afternoon, Michelle. Good afternoon. And before you call me out, Okay. I know soybeans only closed like three quarters of a cent higher, so it wasn't a big uh-huh. gain today, but five days in a row, we'll still take it. I'm calling it a breakout, baby. It's a breakout. It's a breakout. Maybe it's premature, but I don't care. It's a great song. I like it. It's a great idea. Let's song. break out. You know, why not? Yeah. Well, we'll find out if this is kind of a chart breakout or not. Soybeans actually went up, tested some resistance areas, and then yeah. kind of fell off of our highs. But corn also up into chart resistance. We'll see if we can take that out here in the near term. So you bet. that'd be great. I, yeah, it's better than where we were a week ago. That's all I got to say. Well, it is. And I got to tell you, um, sometimes we see as much as we would like for markets to just rocket one way or the other. You know what I mean? Let's let's take feed buyers. You what you want meal to rocket to the downside. Corn sellers, you know, farmers, you got to get it out of the bin. You want a huge straight up and down upside move. The healthy moves don't come that way, do they, Michelle? A healthy market begins to build support, tests and fails here and there, confirms itself along the way. I feel like we're looking at very healthy markets right now, Michelle, your thoughts. Yeah. You like them to be methodical. Mm-hmm. You know, we talked about the coiling action in the corn the last few days, and some people are saying, hey, maybe that's the kind of the foundation, a longer term foundation level we're starting to build. So let's hope that it's not just wishful thinking on our part, but yeah. that there's some technicals to kind of put our money where our mouth is here. So, Well, and in a world where, you know, we've talked earlier this week and even before when you've hosted you know, sometimes there are days when one or two cents feels like a dime or 15 cents. This five cents that we we got in the in the corn market here feels like a yeah. super duper win. Yeah, no doubt. We're looking at that 450, 452 areas, big resistance. So that's going to be the next hurdle to get yep. over here. But a nice close up into the highs for the day. We'll take it. Uh, interesting news today as well. More stuff coming out of China. They cut their reserve rate for the banks to stimulate the economy. Boy, that's a theme we've been hearing a lot about. And uh, we're going to talk about that and this big breakout that we've had in the livestock futures uh, with Arlen Suderman from Stonex Mm -hmm. today. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, before we get to all that, let me just outline the news and the closes here. Uh, All three flavors of wheat took advantage of the softer dollar today. Russian wheat exports have become more diversified through the first half of 23-24, indicating the country has retaken its status as the cheapest origin globally. That will likely cap the upside for the time being. However, 
March SRW futures did close above key moving averages today, suggesting a measure of upside momentum may be expectable. March HRW wheat futures firmed eight and one quarter cents to six twenty-five and three quarters. March SRW wheat added fourteen and one quarter cents to six ten and three quarters. March spring wheat closed at seven oh four and one half. That's up five and a half cents today, Michelle. Yeah, pretty decent close here. Again, we've got uh, SRW wheat. We're going to be getting up into some key moving averages here quite quickly. And so we're going to be watching that. But the lower dollar today was in response to some of this China news that we talked about. So we'll see if maybe we're turning the trend on the dollar as well. Well, dollar weakness allowed March corn futures to secure a close above 450. That's a level that futures refused yesterday. World Weather Inc. reports Argentina will be drying down over the next 10 days, increasing the need for widespread rain soon. Ethanol production during the weekend of Jan 19 declined 818,000 barrels. That's down 22% from the previous week and 21% uh, below year ago, posting the lowest weekly production figure since February 2021. Ethanol stocks rose 120,000 barrels to a beefy 25.8 million barrels. Still, March corn futures gained five and three quarters, 452 and a quarter. May corn firmed five and three quarters cents to 462 and a half. July corn futures closed at 470 and three quarters. That's a four and three quarters cents. Michelle, a little corn conga to celebrate our victory. Yeah, and very well warranted here. Um, when you consider, that was a terrible ethanol production number this week. Oh, and was, we yeah. still closed higher as a result. I think they're chalking that up to the cold weather and some of these plants being down. But needless to say, that's uh, not good demand news. So the fact that we closed higher today, I think, was really impressive. Maybe a little bit of concern starting to creep in about the Argentina dryness you talked about. Well, Michelle, soybean futures pivoted around unchanged in today's trade. Frequent rain will fall on much of northern Brazil during the next two weeks, slowing field work across the region, this according to World Weather. The range of harvest production estimates in Brazil vary widely on weather uncertainty. A decline in soybean oil alongside gains in crude oil futures had soybeans unsure which to follow. March futures fell back to a mid-range close after failing to breach near-term resistance around 1246. March beans added three quarters of one cent, 1240 and one quarter. May beans down one half cent, 12.46 and a half. July closed at 12.52 and three quarters. That's down a penny and a half, Michelle. Yeah, down just a little bit, a little tired today. Yep. And quickly here before we get to Bubba, March cotton firmed 80 points, 85.40. February fat cattle up 70 cents, 175.35. March feeders up 12 and a half cents to close at 233.77 and one half. And some corrective buying helped lean hog futures overcome notable overhead technical resistance. Feb hogs up 60 cents, 73.90. April hogs up a dollar 70 to 82.02 and one half. Michelle. Yeah, nice break out there. All right, Todd Bubba Horwitz with BubbaTrading.com. Uh, let's talk a little bit, Bubba, about some new highs again here in the S&P. Are we going to keep going that direction? <laughs> Hi, Michelle. What's up, handsome newsman? Um, you know, it's. There's a market that just doesn't care, and, and it's ignoring any news. And this is why you don't trade the news, why you trade the market. It's just going up, and there's nothing that's going to stop it right now. And uh, I would suspect that this is going to continue uh, until in, until it doesn't. And uh, right now, we're making new highs in S&P, new highs in the NASDAQ. And um, there's been really very little weakness other than today. 
Now, interestingly enough, today, the volatility index is a little bit higher, and the markets did come off pretty substantially from their from their earlier highs, but they're still well up on the day. How much higher do you think we'll go here? What do the charts project us to? Well, I think you'll see 5,000 in the S&P. You'll probably see 40,000 in the uh, in the Dow and 18,000 in the uh, NASDAQ if, if they want to keep going. Now, again, they could change. We could get we could get a real news item that could change the direction, like a bank failure, which is probably on its on the near term horizon at some point. But until there's a reason to sell, and until the markets show you that they're going down, very similar to their grain markets, they just want to go down. They don't want to go up. No matter every rally gets sold versus every dip gets bought in the equities. Yeah, dollar down today in response to the China news, or what? No, I think the dollar's been doing very well and rallying. And I think okay. it's, you know, listen, markets always get a little bit of a pause. And I don't think it's any different. I think the dollar is probably going to a 105 or 106. All right. Well, we'll see going forward. Thanks, Baba. You have a great day. Thank you, Michelle. Bye. Todd, Todd Baba. BabaTrading.com. Well, we will be back with Arlen Suderman with Stonex uh, to talk about not only China, but you know, what's going on in livestock markets and can we keep these rallies going in the grains? More AgriTalk coming up. To produce higher yields and greater value at harvest, timing is everything. Full Scale from Helena helps soybeans reach their full potential with breakthrough foliar nutrition and reproduction. Full Scale delivers beneficial plant extracts and micronutrients with the added efficiency of ENC formulation technology. It gives your soybeans every opportunity to grow strong returns this season. Contact your local ag retailer or Helena representative to learn more about Full Scale. Always read and follow label instructions and check registration status before use. From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now, you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time. The Propane Farm Incentive Program is a research initiative that provides farmers up to $5,000 towards the purchase of new propane-powered equipment. In exchange, participants share performance data to make tomorrow's ag operations more cost-effective, more efficient, and more environmentally friendly with propane. Getting started is simple. Visit propane.com slash farm incentive to see if you're eligible. In the morning... You're coffeeed up, and you're thinking. In the afternoon, you've calmed down, but you're still thinking. We're here all day. Agritalk. This is one of my favorite pumps, Michelle. Yeah, I like it. It's jazzy. Yeah, jazzy, funky, you know, kind of like us. Don't you think? No doubt. Yeah. Yeah. So I kind of cut you off just a little bit there. You had to cut yourself short in terms yeah. of the livestock here today. Was there anything else that you wanted to add? Well, you know, just, and I'm sure you and Arlen can talk about this this stuff. I mean, I hit the closes. We've got higher uh, fed cattle, higher feeder cattle. Some wholesale fundamentals are improving basically to support those cattle. And then uh, on the hog side, some corrective buying, really. Uh, some overhead resistance, yeah. Near-term overbought, yeah. Still moderately higher in the uh, in the hogs today. I like the way the hogs are set up here all week so far. So we'll have to yeah. see how we finish out the week on these. But that's about what I got. Okay. Well, new highs for the move in both cattle and hogs today. Well, so like go. I said, kind of an impressive day overall. Well, Arlen Suderman, uh, Chief Commodities Economist for Stonex, is joining us. Good to have you with us, Arlen. Good afternoon. Well, it's good to be back here for the meat of the subject. 
No doubt. Uh, let's talk a little bit about China first off. China, China, China. It feels like that's all we talk about. But again, this morning, cutting their reserve rate for banks to stimulate the economy. This is not the first action that they've taken to stimulate the economy over the last several months. I guess the question is, do you think this will work? I think that's the key question, because as an economy goes, really, as a consumer sentiment goes and consumer sentiment has really been hurting in China, there's a growing distrust of whether the government either knows how to or is willing to make the changes necessary to turn its economy around. Its problems are multiple in, in fashion. Part of it is because U.S. and Europe are deleveraging away from the Chinese economy. In other words, we're sourcing our goods that we consume from other countries other than China. We're starting to diversify away from China after COVID and some of the tensions that we've had in recent years. That's hurting their economy, hurting their manufacturing sector. But also when they went through COVID and came back out, their property markets never did. And their property markets can make up over 30% of GDP. The average household, 40% of their assets are wrapped up in property. So when property is going down in value, they think, oh, I better be conservative on what I spend. So they're not buying the t big ticket items. That means cars. That means a property. And they're local. when they do stimulus, typically, the gov central government says, okay, do this program. And then they expect the local governments to take out the debt in order to do it. So their local governments are becoming very debt-ridden right now. How do their local governments pay for their debt? On taxes on property sales. So if property's not selling, they're not generating the tax revenue, and they're in trouble now. So that means something has to change, something has to give, and the consumers there are very skeptical. This latest move was done after the Chinese markets closed today, so we'll have to wait until overnight to see how their market reacts to it. Previous was bigger than some of the other things they've done, so maybe it'll get a better response. Maybe it was big enough to have an impact, but I'm a little bit skeptical until I see that property market really turn around. Yeah. And this slowdown has had a spillover effect into our U.S. export market, has it not? Yeah, that certainly does affect demand for commodities, although we have seen Chinese demand for commodities overall be good. It's just that they're not buying from us is the right. primary problem um, because Brazil and Ukraine have had so much cheaper sources, Ukraine and Brazil, both for corn and Brazil for soybeans. Uh, for example, right now, I get a bid sheet every morning from our China staff and uh, they they factor in all, after all the 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 FOB bids at the various locations and then freight rates and import taxes and currency exchange rates. What does it come down to for a bushel corn, excuse me, a bushel of soybeans coming from Brazil, Argentina versus U.S. Gulf for the PNW? And right now, a bushel of beans shipped in February, March or April, take your pick, uh, is $2 a bushel cheaper than something coming from the U.S. Gulf. Where do you think wow. China's going to buy, let alone the tensions between us? They're going to buy from Brazil just because of price, because they are very price sensitive. Right. We have become the second supplier, unfortunately. Um, what is, you know, what you said about the Brazil basis levels and what cash prices are doing there? What keys does that give you in terms of the crop size there, Brazil's soybean market, the crash that you've seen in those soybean basis levels, is the market worried about a short crop? 
Yeah, I'm glad you asked that, because if we had a short crop here in the United States in the Midwest and the farmers are getting out there and starting to harvest and said, oh, boy, this crop is really short. Would they be anxious sellers? No, they would be holding tight because they'd be convinced prices are going higher. And the farmers are the same in Brazil as they are here from their mentality toward marketing. And what we're seeing is a crash of basis levels in Brazil saying as they're starting to harvest, they are selling soybeans. And so while our bean prices, at least until recent days, have been falling sharply, Brazil beans have been falling even faster in order to get that $2 cheaper than U.S. Gulf soybeans. And that tells me that their cash market is not worried about this being a short soybean crop. Maybe there'll be surprises down the road, but at this point, we don't see evidence of it. So some of these private forecasts, even from some of the farm groups down there in down to the low watermark of what, 130, 135. Do you think the crop is that low down there? No, and I always look to the source of the estimate where it's coming from. Does that source have a reason to be biased? And so what I've seen so far of the low estimates, they tend to come from organizations that have a benefit from trying to stimulate the market and the market's simply not buying those numbers. I do think the production estimates have come lower. In fact, we're lower than USDA or CONAB right now at 152.8. I suspect that our estimate will continue to come down. Our estimate is based on farmer surveys. I think it'll come down. Typically, farmer surveys in bad crop years tend to go too low and then bounce back up a little bit. My guess right now where I'm at, and this is where I've been for the last month, it'll end up somewhere in the 148 million metric ton level, plus or minus one or two million metric tons. That would not be enough to justify rationing U.S. demand with higher prices unless we would start to see a failure with the Argentine crop. Yes, they are drying out down there right now, but they have good soil moisture reserves right now. The heat so far is focused to the west of the main crop producing area. If that changes and the dryness lasts longer than expected and the heat shifts to the east into those crop producing areas, that could certainly change. But it's kind of like the equivalent of June in our Midwest growing season right now in Argentina. Yeah, we've talked a lot about Brazil, but Argentina, obviously, almost doubling their production after the big drought last year. And just recently, the last few days, we started to hear heat and dryness there. But you say it's too early to be concerned about that, obviously. Yeah, I really think it is too early. And the heat is primarily to the west of the primary growing regions. That could change. But so far, that's the case. I have to ask you about Argentina, though. Their runaway inflation You know, even if they get a bigger crop this year, will the farmers there sell it or what's going to happen? Yeah, that's a great question because it has big implications for us longer term. Argentina's agricultural resources are tremendous. They could be a real powerhouse of agricultural production and exports, except for their their very poor economic conditions and and their policies over the years of taxing agricultural production to a third of its value. And so they just elected in and he went into office last month uh, what you may consider like a libertarian candidate. Um, And he, he campaigned on a promise of turning Argentina around by slashing taxes 
that's slashing benefits as well. That's one thing to get elected. It's another thing to get those implemented when people realize, wait a minute, that means cutting my benefits because their social programs, which were huge, were largely funded on these taxes on agricultural exports. But right now he's in office. He's starting to try to move things through. He does not have a majority of their legislature. So he's really working to try to maintain some momentum. If he is successful, that's still a big if, if he is successful, then we will see those taxes ratchet down in a stabilization of the peso and a stabilization of inflation. We're not there yet. So when the farmers right now are holding on to what they do have, crops are smaller in recent years, but they're holding on what they do have because the peso is still losing value. If he gets it stabilized, that's when they start selling and they had these big crops coming on. So that's what we're going to be paying attention to. Yeah. And then are they going to lower their export taxes too at some point? Yeah. that's a, They're talking about slashing them dramatically, if not cutting them entirely. I don't think they'll be able to cut them entirely, but slashing them dramatically, like from 33% to maybe 6% or so. Yeah. That's a big source of income for the government. So obviously you can't slash them too far. All right. Stay tuned. Arlen Suderman joining us with StoneX when we come back. We're going to talk about whether the lows are in in corn and soybeans, and then what about inflation? Is it going to creep back in, and what does that mean for the ag sector? Coming up here on Agritalk. From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time. The Propane Farm Incentive Program is a research initiative that provides farmers up to $5,000 towards the purchase of new propane-powered equipment. In exchange, participants share performance data to make tomorrow's ag operations more cost-effective, more efficient, and more environmentally friendly with propane. Getting started is simple. Visit propane.com slash farm incentive to see if you're eligible. To produce higher yields and greater value at harvest, timing is everything. Full Scale from Helena helps soybeans reach their full potential with breakthrough foliar nutrition and reproduction. Full Scale delivers beneficial plant extracts and micronutrients with the added efficiency of ENC formulation technology. It gives your soybeans every opportunity to grow strong returns this season. Contact your local ag retailer or Helena representative to learn more about Full Scale. Always read and follow label instructions and check registration status before use. Let's go to the markets page at profarmer.com and check today's closes. For March HRW wheat futures firmed eight and one quarter cents to six twenty-five and three quarters. March soft red wheat added fourteen and one quarter cents to six ten and three quarters. March corn futures gained five and three quarter cents to four fifty-two and a quarter. May corn firmed five and three quarter cents to four sixty-two and a half. March soybean futures added three quarters of one cent to twelve forty and one quarter. May beans off one half cent, 1246 and one half. March cotton firmed 80 points to 8540. On the livestock side, February fat cattle firmed 70 cents, 175.35. March feeders up 12 and a half cents to close at 233.77 and one half. February lean hog futures firmed 60 cents to 73.90. Get more market news every market day. Visit tryprofarmer.com. Players. 
Opinions expressed on AgriTalk do not necessarily reflect the views of Farm Journal Broadcasting, affiliate stations, or sponsors. You're listening to AgriTalk, where the conversation begins. Join us at 855-4-TALK-AG. And welcome back to AgriTalk. I'm Michelle Rook in for the vacation chip glory. Arlen Suderman is joining us with StoneX and... I have so much more I want to talk to you about, Arlen, but of course, you maybe heard us talk about it at the beginning of this show, corn and soybeans up for the fifth day, and this has been since these reversals we put in last Thursday. So are we actually putting in the winter lows, or are we just trying to correct the oversold status of this market? Yeah, fundamentally, nothing has really changed. Yeah, we've increased feed usage with the cold weather to some extent. And that's helpful, but we still have over a 2 billion bushel carry out with no indications that change. Maybe we can get a weather concern out of Brazil for their winter corn crop. Doesn't really exist yet, but the odds are higher this year of having such. But here's the bottom line. Friday's CFTC report showed that uh, managed money, particularly the hedge funds, the speculative hedge funds, had built near record large short positions or sold positions in the grain and oilseed complex, just pretty much across the board. And we were getting into oversold conditions on the market. When you've had prices this low relative to where we've been and you're getting oversold, and those positions are so, the short positions are so large, who gets nervous? End users start getting nervous because they know if there's a headline that comes across out of the Black Sea, Red Sea, or wherever it might be, that causes those funds to unwind their short positions, your upside price risk rise dramatically. The speculative trader feel, starts worrying about the same thing. What if that happens? So both start buying in there. And as we start buying, we stabilize the market. It starts to turn higher like we are now. And then the momentum trading algos start buying as well. And you get a nice little correction higher. We still don't see anything fundamentally to indicate that the bottom is in. But we can say it's gotten cheap enough, at least for now, traders are uncomfortable taking it lower. And so we're getting a bit of a bounce higher. Yeah, and we maybe got to a level where we got some value buying, perhaps at you know the lower end of that trading range. I got to ask you about this ethanol production number this morning in the EIA report down 23% from last week. Was that just because of the cold weather? Yeah, it's primarily because of cold weather. We've we've been pushing ethanol at a pretty good rate. And as you know, it's a bacterial process to create ethanol from the cornstarch. And so when it gets cold, those plants get cold too, especially when it gets as cold as what it was and really slows down the process of production. Now, stocks didn't go down. They actually crept a tick higher on the week. And that's largely because the winter storms and the cold was so bad driving really decreased as well and so with less driving less blending we we didn't use as much either now unfortunately it means lost corn demand to offset some of the increased feed demand overall uh, we do expect this to bounce back to the levels that we were before probably not going to be in next week's data it's probably going to take a couple weeks based on history to be able to bounce back to the levels we were before. We actually were lower than this during that big Arctic outbreak that we had in February of 21. Last year, we had an Arctic outbreak. Uh, we didn't bounce this low. I mean, we didn't fall this far. So we outdid that, but not as much as the one in February of 21. Right. Okay. I want to talk a little bit about uh, something that 
you and I visited about when we were at the Water Street Edge Conference out in Tucson, Arizona a couple of weeks ago. And that is the funds being so short, especially in the grain market in relationship to inflation data. And let's walk through this. Um, first of all, inflation. Do you expect it to return in 2024? What are your thoughts? Yeah, I do. I don't think we get down to the 2% level and hold it. I do think we have a rebound probably in the second or third quarter of this year. There's a number of reasons for that. Shelter costs, we still have a shortage of shelter whenever the economy starts to rebound and interest rates drop. We see the demand for shelter come back and prices come back. Labor is another one. We still have a shortage of labor in this country. Um, there's various reasons for that, but wage inflation has not gone away. Another factor is the increasing tightening of credit caused by government spending right now. Whenever the government spends money it doesn't have, it has to issue a debt certificate or a treasury note, for example, in order to fund that spending, uh, spending project. And the estimates are that this year, con congressional spending is going to increase the number of debt certificates offered to the market by 23% across the yield curve on average. That's a huge increase in the supply of treasuries. When anything increases in supply, whether it be uh, crude oil or corn or treasuries, the value goes down. Well, with treasuries, when their value goes down, their yields go up. And so the Fed only controls the overnight rate, the very short-term overnight rate. They don't control the longer-term end of the yield curve. And so I think we're going to see upward pressure on the far end of the yield curve, Actually, not the far end, but everything beyond the short term. I think we're going to see that upward pressure. That also contributes to higher costs, just like the farmer's higher operating costs contribute to higher interest payments that he has to recover from higher grain prices if he can get it. And so we do expect inflation to come back this year. So what does that mean for the Fed here because of the position it puts them in uh, when we have all this talk about maybe as many as six rate cuts here in 2024. Yeah, the market's been wrong about that for the last year and a half on what we're going to do on rate hikes or rate cuts. And I suspect they're going to continue to be wrong. Um, and, and as we go forward, right now, the Fed is also um, tightening its balance sheet. In other words, reducing its balance sheet, doing so by buying $1.14 trillion fewer debt certificates per year than what they were previously fewer buyers. I think in order to contain the increase in rate hikes and contain the credit crunch problems later this year, they're going to have to actually turn around and start quantitative easing again, start expanding their balance sheet once again, which tends to, again, be devalue the dollar. There's other factors involved in that as well, including the value of the euro and what's happening in Europe. Um, but that is also inflationary and another factor there. Now, in 2021, the reason that we're talking about this, the funds bought grains as a hedge against inflation. So do you see them now that they've been short in so many things and they're so short in all of the grains right now, will they come back in in 2024 to buy commodities? Yeah, what we've done is we've created this commodity index to, to track the value of a basket of commodities. So it's got the grain and oil seeds in it, it's got the energies in it, the livestock, the softs, uh, precious metals, industrial metals all in there. And then we track each sector as well. And the grain and oil seeds track extremely close to the overall. So I'm just going to talk primarily about the overall 
commodity tracker. And then we start comparing it against other things. And one of those things we did is against the five-year break-even inflation rate. That is traded every day. That's what the market thinks inflation is going to average over the next five years. So coming out of the pandemic, the stimulus checks were in the economy. We were reopening the economy. People were excited to get out and spend money. We expected inflation. The expectations were inflation. So the five-year break-even inflation index started trending higher. And so did money then into the commodities because the fund said, if inflation's going higher, as you indicated, they want to protect their portfolios by owning commodities. Um, and that would help protect the value of their portfolio as inflation went up. Then in March of 22, the Fed started raising interest rates. The objective was to bring inflation down by taking us toward a recession in order to bring inflation under control. So inflation expectations start to decline. And there's about a two to three month lag here for the money flow into the commodities are out of it either way. So by June, then about mid-June, the funds went from wanting to be long the commodities to wanting to be short the commodities or selling them. And so they built short positions, some very large short positions in nearly all commodities. There were a few exceptions where a commodity had a strong story but otherwise, they were, their default was to short the commodities. Now, if inflation starts coming back, they'll be saying, based on history, do we want to remain short? Probably not, depending on the commodity again. But overall, for the, their pet, the overall default is to get out of the short position, start owning it. Why does that matter? We have found that that impacts the level at which the market manages supply and demand with the same fundamentals. So you can still have these same fundamentals, which really aren't that bullish, but the market can manage it at a higher level if inflation expectations are coming back than if it would if we thought we were still in a deflationary mode. No doubt. So what is the timing of that? When would the funds come back in? And if they start covering their short position, how much of a rally could we get in the grains as a result? Yeah, it could be stimulated at any point. And as Bubba was pointing out earlier in talking to you, um, it doesn't have to be a big rally or anything like that. But the timing I would anticipate sometime in the second or third quarter, um, but it could be stimulated by any type of event related to the war in the Middle East, the war in the Black Sea, something with China. It's anything could stimulate it. Even a weather story could stimulate anything to start showing that inflation is coming back. The CPI popped in the last report that we got earlier this month. I, I, that, While that's what I'm looking for, I think the timing is wrong. We may see that pull back again next month again. I think it'll start popping as we go later in the second quarter. And then again, there's a two to three month lag typically, although it could still be stimulated by any type of real story that gets the fund's attention. Do they cover their whole short position and then start moving long or not? If you have a particular commodity that has really bearish fundamentals, they might not cover it. But overall, we would anticipate, based on history, that they would cover the bulk of their short positions and build long ownership. All right. Well, let's hope that if they do that, that creates some sort of a pricing opportunity here in the grains and other commodities for producers. All right, Arlen. Good stuff. Good stuff. Arlen Suderman with Stonex joining us. When we come back, we are going to talk about livestock and some of these chart breakouts that we've had. Is it all technical or fundamental? More AgriTalk coming up.
produce higher yields and greater value at harvest, timing is everything. Full Scale from Helena helps soybeans reach their full potential with breakthrough foliar nutrition and reproduction. Full Scale delivers beneficial plant extracts and micronutrients with the added efficiency of ENC formulation technology. It gives your soybeans every opportunity to grow strong returns this season. Contact your local ag retailer or Helena representative to learn more about Full Scale. Always read and follow label instructions and check registration status before use. From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now, you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time. The Propane Farm Incentive Program is a research initiative that provides farmers up to $5,000 towards the purchase of new propane-powered equipment. In exchange, participants share performance data to make tomorrow's ag operations more cost-effective, more efficient, and more environmentally friendly with propane. Getting started is simple. Visit propane.com slash farm incentive to see if you're eligible. On your favorite radio station or your preferred digital device, AgriTalk is live every weekday. Welcome back to AgriTalk. I'm Michelle Brookin for Chip Flory, and we're going to make Arlen Suderman stick around for a little bit longer from Stonex. As long as I got you, I'm going to put you to work, Arlen. Uh, Let's talk about the livestock sector. Nice closes yesterday. Today, we made new highs for the move in both cattle and hogs. And I don't know if we can talk about this together, if we need to pick it apart. But cattle, are the funds coming back in there to buy, do you think? They are. And, uh, of course, the story in cattle is the shrinking herd size. And we'll get a cattle inventory report coming out at the end of the month, which we expect to show another decline of two, two and a half percent in the size of the herd, the breeding herd speaking of. Um, But, you know, we had the big rally based on those expectations and tightening supplies. And then because of the weather in the West, we pulled a bunch of cattle forward and had several back to back to back cattle on feed reports where we really pulled a lot of young lighter weight cattle forward part of it's because grain was getting cheaper and pastures were withering and so we pulled them in now we're starting to get on the back side of that so we liquidated long positions now the funds are starting to get back in and then the we were still dealing with the meat supply being big because right. of all that we had a nice fall in early winter period we were getting nice gains and Record we were feeding to heavier that's exactly right feeding to heavier weights because corn was cheap and that was a problem then even with the lower numbers and then lo and behold this winter blast comes in some of these feedlots are saying that the cattle lost more than 100 pounds per animal and and let alone the disruptions in transportation and in, in slaughter schedules getting workers to the plants etc so we really took a took care of that meat supply surplus situation and uh, the box beef prices really popped and we got choice cuts back over $300 and yesterday pulled back a little bit this morning haven't seen this afternoon's numbers yet but we're up around $300 and that's supporting some better bids for today we've seen so far a few cattle move this week generally slightly higher than last week we're expecting basically steady to a dollar higher this week for cash cattle hogs we're we're seeing some good numbers as well and so the money is starting to come back into these the protein complex yeah choice boxes here today closing down 216 at 29950 but right around the $300 mark and like you say we have had a big rally off of the january lows over $25 so just this little correction um, isn't anything to be too concerned about, is it? 
Yeah, and then you look look about the November uh, feeder cattle contract two sixty five, um, closing at two sixty five seventy five versus the January contract right now at two thirty one seventy five. So was at thirty four dollar premium in the November mm-hmm. over now pricing in the expectations of fewer cattle as we get later in the year. Yeah, and I think we've had like 38% retracement levels on a lot of these cattle contracts. You know, everybody is like, are we going to get to 50%? Are we going to go back and retest the highs? What would it take for us to get back up there, do you think? Uh, again, it's going to come down to whether we get that shortage of supplies. And I say the big thing is what does the economy do in consumer confidence? Right now, we're starting to trend back higher with consumer confidence, meaning they're more willing to pay more money for the higher cuts of meat. If the economy would turn south sharply, then the consumer says, ah, no, I'm going from steak to hamburger. I'm going from hamburger to pork uh, or to poultry. They go down the value chain. So it really comes down to what the consumer will support. Now, we saw a tremendous amount of imports of beef last year. And a lot of that was related to the drought and dryness that they were having in, in Australia and New Zealand. Now we hope that those imports start decreasing and uh, we can get back to more dependency on the U.S. supplies and that the consumer is feeling good and willing to pay the money for it. Right. So hogs have had a chart breakout here as well, especially in that April contract. So has this been technically driven or what fundamentally has pushed this market? Well, we part of it was, again, weather, because we did have a lot of disruptions, and we even hurt the performance of animals, even though most of our hogs are finished indoors. The cold was uh, sharp enough that it did affect performance to some extent, let alone the transportation and the packing plants. So we did take some meat off of, of the market. Um, so that helped. We're also looking at... Um, uh, product. If we look in the in the cold storage report, just looking at the numbers that came out while we were talking, total pork supplies went up 2.8 percent month on month, but we're still down 3.6 percent year on. Excuse me, 6.4 percent year on year. So uh, we're still looking at lower pork supplies. Our exports have been really solid. And uh, the consumer is still paying up for the pork. So uh, if we can get these numbers, we're past the main peak period for slaughter now. So hopefully we're getting things in better balance. No doubt. Um, Slaughter figures today back up to 126,000 head on the beef and 493,000 head on hogs. So we're pretty much back to normal, you think? Yeah, absolutely. Finally getting it back closer to normal today. And uh, now we need to see the... Uh, carcass weights going forward, particularly for cattle here over the next couple of weeks. And I think we'll see those declining carcass weights. Yeah. China hog herd. Uh, Talk about what's going on with that real quick and what that means for our market. Yeah, they've had an oversupply of pork. There's many reasons for that overall. The government's been trying to encourage liquidation of the breeding herd, and they've been doing so. Uh, Per capita consumption is leaking lower. Their population dropped by 2.1 million last year, um, so they need less pork. All right. Well, hopefully at some point we're going to get some export business from China. We just haven't seen it yet, have we? No, no. And uh, they're still producing more than they need. Hopefully that turn out. Other customers have been really great, though, for pork. 
Yeah, Mexico, number one buyer. So thank you to Mexico for that. All right, Arlen, thank you so much. We appreciate you being with us. Thank you very much. That's Arlen Suderman. He is chief commodities economist with Stone X. Um, as far as the uh, outlook for tomorrow uh, coming up, I am going to be hosting the morning show. We have Chandler Gould from the National Association of Wheat Growers. We have Steve Sensky. He is CEO of the American Soybean Association. And then remember yesterday, we talked about that big SAF plant that is uh, going to be seeing groundbreaking in Georgia. We're gonna talk about that with Monty Shaw with the Iowa Renewable Fuels Association. So for Davis Michelson and Joe Steckler, I'm Michelle Rook. Thanks for joining us today for Agritalk.